1 Samuel chapter 13 tonight. 1 Samuel chapter 13, Brother Ray. Let's just um, kind of take a step back for half a second here and uh, kind of get us, uh, set the, the scene, the context, set the stage. There we go. Uh, so, of course, we've seen uh, Saul uh, has been uh, chosen of the Lord in, in the Lord's permissive will, we've said many times now, uh, to serve as the king that the people wanted, not God's plan, but the people's desire. And God said, okay, I'll, I'll teach you a thing or two, right, Marilyn, uh, by permitting this. And uh, we saw Saul chosen, uh, sort of serving as king-elect, and then a leading a victory over an attack. I won't, I won't challenge you or quiz you with those uh, people uh, and the king tonight, but you remember that. There was an attack up north, and uh, Saul uh, led a victory, and he gave God the credit for that victory, didn't he? I mean, it seemed like things were going okay for him, pretty well spiritually. Initially, Maryland, he took care to give God the credit. Of course, God deserved the credit, and people recognized that God had used Saul, uh, worked through Saul to provide that victory. And so they finally recognized uh, him as their king. Uh, and things seemed to be going pretty well for a time. Now, you know, you know the account of Saul. You know that uh, things don't go very well for very long. Uh, by the way, we're not, we're not sure uh, how long he was king. Um, in, in Acts, I think... Uh, in the book of Acts, it suggests that he was king for 40 years. Uh, don't necessarily have a, an opportunity to kind of say at what point uh, all the things happen here tonight. But if you look in um, chapter 13, verse 1, the Bible says Saul reigned one year, uh, and when he had reigned two years over Israel. So uh, it seems like we're into that second year, maybe just, maybe just beyond that here uh, when we get to verse 13. Now, Marilyn, it seems to me tonight that God is going to... Uh, test Saul. He, he's going to test him. You may remember that uh, back when Samuel anointed Saul, it was Samuel, right? We're in 1 Samuel. When Samuel anointed Saul, he gave some prophecies to Saul. He told him some things that would happen right away and um, said some other things that, that didn't happen immediately. Uh, and so we were, we were kind of left wondering a little bit about that. But if you turn back to uh, chapter 10 and verse 8. Look there with me quickly, please. Uh, chapter 10 and verse 8. This is where they had met, and um, one of the things that Samuel had said, one of the things that, that uh, Samuel uh, had prophesied is this. He said, thou, so he's talking to, to Saul, said basically you, you Saul, thou shalt go down before me to Gilgal. Keep that in mind, Gilgal. And behold, I will come down unto thee to do what? What does he say there next? He's, Samuel says, I'm, you're going to go to Gilgal. I'm going to come, and I'm going to do what? What does he say? To offer burnt offerings. Samuel tells Saul, I'm going to come. Uh, I'm the priest, right? Samuel's the priest. Is Saul a priest? He's not a priest. He's not, a, he's not of a priestly family, a priestly uh, tribe, nothing like that. He has no qualifications. And Samuel says, hey, I'm going to come. I'm gonna, there's, there's a point at which I'm going to meet you at Gilgal. I'm going to come to offer burnt offerings, to sacrifice sacrifices of peace offerings. And then he says this. He says, seven days shalt thou tarry. He says, listen, you're going to find yourself in a situation where you're going to need to wait for me for seven days. Carolyn, I'm, I'm probably the most patient person you've ever met, right? Uh, I'm, the, I'm the very most, no, I'm not, actually. God's, God's still working on me in that area. And 
You're going to see here tonight, Saul becomes uh, impatient, waiting out those seven days also. Uh, it'll, it'll reveal a spiritual weakness, this impatience. Uh, he says, you're going, to, you're going to wait seven days. Seven days shalt thou tarry till I come to thee uh, and show thee what thou shalt do. Uh, and that was it. Now, that was back in chapter 10. Where are we now? We're in, we're in 13 now. We haven't seen that verse, the Samuel's prophecy of that verse fulfilled before now, but I believe, I believe that we can see it fulfilled here in verse 13. You're going to see um, Saul is um, desiring to go into battle, uh, but he recognizes that uh, he's, he's at that place that Samuel talked about, and um, he he feels like he needs to get on with the battle because it seems like some of the troops are getting a little nervous, Marilyn, a little impatient. It seems like things are starting to fall apart. And so it seems that Saul has decided, you know what, I just need to get on with things here. Uh, but he understands that if he does that without performing a sacrifice to the Lord, without someone performing a sacrifice to the Lord, that probably uh, do more harm to morale and maybe cause uh, some of the some of the guys to more of the guys. Let's say it that way. More of the guys to leave. And problem is Samuel's not on scene, and so Saul says, "You know what? I'm just going to do this sacrifice, and then we're going to get on with this thing. We're, we're going to get on with this battle because if I don't if I don't get on, morale's going to be so so harmed. I'm not going to have anyone left here to fight this battle with me." Now I'm going to ask you again before we jump in and look at this: um, Is Saul? qualified biblically by God to perform sacrifices. He is absolutely not qualified biblically to serve in that area. So if he does that, if he calls for a sacrifice, he performs a sacrifice for any reason, is it sin? It's sin. Uh, if God says, don't do this, and you do it, that's sin. You're going to see Saul tonight make excuses, Marilyn, uh, you know, sometimes we can convince ourselves it's okay to do something sinful because God knows there's a reason uh, for me to do that. Uh, God knows what he has said in his word. Uh, and doesn't he know also that there's never an excuse to sin? Um, do we struggle with that idea sometimes? Saul did. We'll see that tonight. Uh, he's, he's, he feels like he's just got to do this thing that God said, no, don't do. Because if he doesn't do it, there's going to be a problem for him. Uh, and so he makes an excuse. Hey, I need to do this. Guys are, guys are dropping off here. They're, they're heading back home. Morale is harmed. Uh, i got to get on with this thing. i got to do this sinful thing or else there's going to be consequences. Well, he's going to do that thing, Marilyn, and there are going to be consequences. There are going to be consequences from the Lord for sin. Sin always has consequences. And there is never an excuse for sin. Uh, that's really what I want us to get a hold of tonight. There's, we are tempted to make excuses at times to sin. God understands. Uh, I know God has said X, but my situation is Y. And, and God will understand. My situation makes it okay to sin. No, it doesn't. It never does. It never, brother, Ray, it, it just never, ever, your situation never makes it okay. And I believe that's the thing that God would have us to see here tonight. So uh, let's jump in. I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump in here at 1 Samuel chapter 13. Are you there? Everybody's there? Okay. 1 Samuel chapter 13. I'm going to pray. Father, thank you tonight for this chapter. 
uh, Lord, it's, it's hard to read. It's hard to see uh, the king that you've permitted fail. Uh, I believe it's a, it's a trial, it's a test, and Lord, it's hard to see him fail. Uh, Lord, we have the, the benefit of, of being able to look back and study it. He, he had the difficult situation of uh, making decisions along the way to obey or not to obey, to make excuses or, or to simply obey. Father, we understand, I understand tonight that we struggle in the same area. Sometimes it just seems like uh, there, there'll be an acceptable excuse to make a sinful choice. Lord, I pray tonight that you'd show us here in this passage that there is never, ever an acceptable excuse to make a sinful choice. Father, I thank you tonight for the privilege to, to teach these uh, your words, Lord. Thank you so much for them. Help me to handle them well. Lord, help us to get a hold of uh, this principle tonight for your honor and for your glory. Lord, I love you tonight. I thank you so much for this church, for uh, people who are here tonight. Lord, for people who are uh, watching or listening online. Uh, Lord, just help us now. I, I love you. I thank you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's see the scene here again. So uh, 1 Samuel 13, verse 1, Saul reigned one year when he had reigned two years over Israel. Verse 2, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, soldiers that he's chosen out of the people, Sister Janet. He says, where, where, Bible says, whereof 2,000 were with Saul uh, in Michmash, the C-H is never ch, it's always k, uh, Michmash, uh, and in Mount Bethel, uh, and a thousand were with Jonathan in Gebeah. Who's Jonathan? Uh, this is the first time we see him here, I think. Who, who is Jonathan? Uh, was Saul, Saul's son, right? He's Saul's son, and of course he'll uh, factor in later on with David. David becomes second king. Uh, so this Jonathan, uh, there were a thousand of these 3,000 troops were, were with Jonathan in Gebeah of Benjamin, and the rest of the people he sent every man uh, to his tent. So just very quickly, this is Bible study, so let's just get Micmash right for a moment. Kind of a neat name for a town, don't you think, Brother Garcia? Where, where are you from? Oh, I live over in Micmash. Micmash. You know, Carolyn, there's Trumbull. That's okay. Shelton's okay. Bridgeport. Micmash. Uh, Micmash is in the region of Benjamin. It's approximately, depending on, on, on what commentator you look at, it's anywhere between five and ten miles north of Jerusalem. Um, so it's, it's, it's there just a little bit north of, of Jerusalem, uh, there in the heart of what would be you know, Judea, the southern part of Israel in, in Jesus' time. Uh, so Jonathan, uh, you know, he's the young guy. He's got something to prove. Uh, he, he, um, he, I'm going to take a half a step back here. Forgive me. The Philistines are, are causing the people a lot of trouble at this time, right? Um, God is pretty clearly using them to get a hold of the hearts of the people still. Um, and they were very much still oppressing the people. You see later on, they didn't allow them to have blacksmiths. That was so they couldn't make weapons. They were very much oppressing uh, the people of, of God uh, at this time. Jonathan, young guy, probably looking to make a, uh, a case for himself. He, he strikes out and, and strikes at the Philistines. Might not be the the wisest thing here. I don't know this is necessarily God's plan, but, but see verse 3. Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Gebah, uh, and the Philistines heard of it. So they had a garrison there. They had kind of an outpost there. Uh, probably some troops were stationed there. They probably had weapons uh, stored there. Who is it that, that um, launched this attack at this garrison of the Philistines at Gebah? Who did that? What, what does the Bible say? 
Brother Ray, who, who does it say did? Jonathan did that, right? Does it say Saul did that? Now, he, he may have been acting under Saul's orders. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know that. But, but look at the next part of verse 3 and then verse 4. Verse 3, second part of verse 3 says, Saul blew the trumpet, um, blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. Uh, and all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten a garrison of the Philistines. Saul do that? Did he do that? Or did Jonathan do that? Yeah, so, I mean, it, maybe Jonathan had sort of wrong intentions. I don't know. But what I do know is that Saul's taking credit for Jonathan's actions. Uh, that's, what is that? What, what is that? Is that dishonesty? Is it a lie? Is that sin? Is it always sin to be dishonest? Is it ever not sinful to be dishonest? It's always, I, I don't think I can make a case for any, um, any dishonesty or lying that that's not sin. Um, Israel heard that Saul had smitten a garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel also was had an abomination with the Philistines. So uh, it's pretty clear that Saul is, is dishonestly taking credit for that raid, that attack, and promoting it. Uh, throughout the land. Why would he do that? Well, you know, he's still fairly new as king. Uh, it was a military victory that caused the people to recognize him as, their, as the king they desired. Uh, maybe he feels that he needs to keep delivering victories to keep the, the heart of the people. I don't know. Uh, but I think all of this is, is implied here. Marilyn, there might be some fear. Uh, there might be some pride uh, at the root of this. Fear and pride both, perhaps. Uh, but this is dishonest. It's just plain dishonest. And right away here, there's, there's a hint of some spiritual problems uh, in Saul's life. Verse 4 says, The people uh, were called together after Saul to Gilgal. Uh, this would be in the Jordan River Valley, not too awful far from Jericho. You remember Jericho would be kind of up northish, uh, just across the Jordan in the valley there. Uh, this would be in that same area. Uh, people were called together after Saul uh, to Gilgal. Go back uh, middle of verse 4 there, this phrase, uh, Israel also was had in abomination with the Philistines. You ever trip over that sentence a little bit? It's, it's kind of a, a awkward, I mean, it feels awkward to us, right? Uh, it's, it's a good, accurate translation of the Hebrew with right word order and all that. So uh, we certainly won't criticize it. Uh, it's an excellent translation, but to us, it feels a little bit awkward. It simply means Israel um, became an abomination uh, to the Philistines. Uh, they attacked them. Uh, the underlying word, the word underlying abomination there has the literal idea of a stink <laughs> or something, something stinky. Uh, you, do you love stinky things? Uh, the only thing about losing my, good thing about losing my smell during uh, my little bout with COVID is that there was nothing stinky there for a couple weeks. That's great, right? Uh, it's just great. Uh, no, that, that wasn't great, but it has little idea. They, they became a, a stinky stench to the Philistines. Um, they, they, they were trouble to them. Israel became trouble uh, is the idea. Um, Jonathan attacked them. Yeah, that, that's trouble. An abomination to the, the Philistines is the idea here. Well, the Philistines aren't going to be too happy about that. They were very powerful uh, at this time. We're going to see them uh, raise up a very large and powerful uh, military force, a counteroffensive uh, here, and they're going to penetrate deeply into the land. They are not joking around. 
Verse 5 says this, the Philistines gathered themselves together to do what? What does it say? To fight with Israel. They are not pleased that Jonathan, Jonathan has attacked their outpost, their garrison at Geba. Geba. Uh, what, what does it say here? The Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots. That's a big army. That, that's a big force. That would be kind of the modern equivalent of you know, 30,000 tanks being assembled, something, something like that. They, they assemble 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand, as many uh, footmen, troops, uh, the, just like sand. You can hardly count them. People as the sand, which is on the seashore in multitude, uh, and they came up uh, and pitched where? <laughs> McMash, McMash. Uh, that same place that we see here in, in verse 2 where uh, Saul chose him 3,000 men, uh, whereof 2,000 were with Saul at, at Michmash. So, um, yeah, they, they, have, they raise up this gigantic, powerful army, uh, and they penetrate pretty deeply uh, into the land. They, they are not happy, uh, and they're, they're launching this, this very serious counteroffensive. They clearly intend to go in there, Marilyn, and, and take care of uh, some business. Um, you know, I, I think about the history sort of closer to just before the life of Christ also. You, you had the Syrian Empire followed by the Roman Empire coming in, and uh, why was it that General Pompey came into Palestine, Bible lands, and uh, take control of that land? Well, Romans were very concerned about instability uh, in the area. They said, this is going to be a threat to us if we, if we don't deal with this. And so uh, Pompey installed a, a kind of a local governor under the Caesar, and uh, his son was Herod the Great. You know the history down from there, but that was all uh, motivated in large part by concern about instability in that region becoming a threat to the, the powers that be. And this is the same kind of thing. Um, there, there, was, there was instability, there was insurrection, uh, and the, the, the reigning kind of Philistines in, in this day said, we can't have this. We can put this down. We got to make sure we put this down in a, in a very big way. So um, they do that. They, they go charging in with this massive army. And in verses 6 and 7, you see the response of the men of Israel. They're, uh, they're, they're kind of aghast at what they see here. The Bible says they were distressed uh, and they were trembling. By the way, well, let's see the verse. When the men of Israel, verse 6, saw that they were in a strait, what does that mean? <laughs> they, saw, uh, they saw that they were in a strait. What's that mean? <laughs> they, had, they had a big problem. They're, they're in trouble. Uh, they're, they're in trouble. The uh, Bible says, for the people were distressed. They were distressed. Then people did hide themselves in caves uh, and in thickets and in rocks and in high places uh, and in pits. They hid themselves, sister, wherever they could. They, they saw these 30,000 chariots coming and uh, all these footmen that you, you couldn't even count. And they said, whoa. Um, that's in the Hebrew. Whoa. It's not. I'm kidding. Uh, they were distressed. By the way, did we see um, David distressed on Sunday night? We saw, we saw David's distress, right? And then at the end of that short psalm, we saw his, I give you another D word, delight, right? And what was the D in the middle there? What was the thing that helped David kind of turn from his distress uh, to delight and joyfully worshiping the Lord? 
we said it was that prayerful devotion, right? That, that was the thing. Uh, you, you saw him just, you know, so distressed. I can't come up with a better word right now, Marilyn. But the thing that got him from there to, uh, you know, just wonderfully better place was calling out to God, praying about his situation and remembering who God is and, and, and what God is like. Uh, I, don't, I don't see that here. I see nothing but distress and trembling uh, and the response to that of hiding, uh, you know, practically speaking, that, that might have been good. Hide, uh, get away and pray, get some direction and wisdom from the Lord. But all I see is distress and trembling and hiding uh, here. Verse 7 says, some of the Hebrews went over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. They, they, they hightailed it back over the river, uh, running away, it would seem, as for Saul... He was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him. What? What's the last word there in verse 7? When do you tremble? When do you do that? When you're really afraid, right? I mean, have you ever been so upset or, or so afraid that you began to shake a little bit? You, you, you know what that's like. I think that's exactly uh, what the people were experiencing. They, they saw an army. They said, we have no chance uh, just no chance at all. If these guys decide to destroy us, they're going to do that. Naturally, there would be fear. Uh, you can't help but be afraid and, and kind of respond physically to that at times. But, Marilyn, what we can do is decide what we'll do in response to that fear, right? Do we prayerfully give it to the Lord and pray for wisdom and pray for guidance and, and pray for protection? Or do we just kind of hide and wait to see uh, what will happen? Well, that's all I see is is fear and distress and trembling uh, and hiding. I see Saul uh, waiting. Now, this is where we kind of see that the context here is alluding back to Samuel's prophecy back there in chapter 10, right, where we, we started tonight. I think Samuel, no, forgive me, Saul understands that this that time that Samuel had spoken to him about. This is that day. Uh, Samuel had prophesied to him and given him the place, uh, Gilgal. Um, Samuel 10, 1 Samuel 10, verse 8 specifically says, Gilgal, when you're there, wait for me there uh, for seven days, and I will come uh, and I will do the burnt offering. So picture yourself, you're Saul, uh, you're at that place. You, you see this, this um, enemy approaching with all this strength. Now you've got several thousand men. Uh, but, but you know, you, you've got to do something. You can't just wait to be overwhelmed and, and, and crushed. You've got to do something. Uh, and I'm sure the temptation was to just, just get busy doing it. Don't wait to be overwhelmed. Just do whatever you can before you are uh, overwhelmed. So uh, look at verse 8. He tarried uh, seven days. He, he waited at least the better part of the seven days. That's good. Uh, that's good. He understood that he was to do that. He says, according to the time set that Samuel had appointed. Uh, make a note in your Bible, 1 Samuel 10, 8. Uh, but Samuel came not to Gilgal. Uh, Saul says, listen, I waited seven days, uh, like Samuel said, but he's not here. And the people, uh, what, is the, what does the end of verse 8 say? What does that say? The people scattered from him. Uh, the, the army that, that he had assembled, that he had called together, you know, they're getting out of there. They see this enemy, large, powerful enemy approaching. 
They're waiting for Samuel to come, uh, evidently to call upon the Lord, to perform a, a sacrifice to the Lord, to be sure that they went out into uh, battle, uh, having done that and having the Lord's uh, blessing upon them. Uh, but they, don't, they waited seven days. Samuel's not there, so they're out of there. Um, Brother Ray Metric, what, what should have happened at this point? Uh, what, what should have happened? Uh, what should have happened immediately is, is prayer, right? Uh, God, help us to be patient. Samuel said, uh, I, I, I assume Saul shared that Samuel's prophecy of wait seven days and I will come. Uh, so he's, he's thinking, hey, i got to wait seven days. Samuel will come. He'll perform the sacrifice. We'll know God's blessing. We'll charge into battle. God will give us a supernatural victory. I'm sure that's what he was hoping for, but Samuel's not here. I'm sure he'd share this with, the, with his uh, several thousand, but Samuel's not there. Uh, I don't see any praying. I just see the thing starting to fall apart. The people were scattered from him. Uh, this would have been a good time for some prayer. The first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day, those would have been good days for prayer. I don't see any of that. I, I, just, I just see waiting for Samuel. That much is good. Samuel said to do that. That's from the Lord through his prophet uh, to Saul. Uh, that much is good. That's obedience. But the temptation uh, to do the sacrifice and, and to get out there and, and, and get going with this thing was great. And eventually it became too great uh, for Saul. And so Saul, in verse 9, said, Bring hither a what? What does he say? Bring hither a burnt offering to me uh, and peace offerings. He said, Get those things that I'll need to make this offering because Samuel's not here. I waited like he said, uh, but he's not here. So... This is, this is the situation that he's going to use to make an excuse to sin. Is it going to be a sin for Saul to do the offering that only the priest was biblically qualified to do? We've already said it tonight. What's the answer? That's sin. That's sin. It's sin. Uh, for Saul to do this instead of Samuel is sin, but he feels like he can't wait. He feels like he doesn't have a choice. Did you ever feel that way? Did you ever feel that way? Hey, I, I, I don't have a choice here. I've got to do this sinful thing because if I don't, things aren't going to go well. Did you ever struggle with that idea? You know, if, if, I, don't, if I don't take my tithe and spend it on some other thing, it's not going to go well. God, God won't take care of me. Uh, if, if, I don't, if I don't do this, if, uh, you know, this sinful thing, God, God won't take care, things aren't going to go well. Um, this is where Saul is. Um, what does the last sentence of verse 9 say? Here's his choice. Here's his decision, Brother Ray Mechik. And verse 9 says, he offered the burnt offering. You know, God wants a burnt offering, but not from this man. Not from this man. So this is sin. He feels like he has no choice but to do that thing. And there it is. There's the... I'm going to justify this thing because it needs to happen because we, we need to get going. Well, uh, here's the irony. The minute, it seems like the minute that he completes the offering, uh, who does he see coming? He sees Samuel coming. Just, you know, he does the offering. He commits the sin because he feels like he doesn't have a choice. And, you know, he's, he's, he's going to say that. 
Uh, the minute he does it, there's Samuel. Like Marilyn, if he waited five more minutes, because uh, Samuel said he'd be there on the seventh day, uh, if he waited five more minutes, if he was just patient, if he prayed and said, Lord, give me strength to be patient. Sometimes you have to do that, right? Lord, give me strength to be patient, to wait upon you. God, don't let me do this sinful thing that I feel like I need to do because I don't have a choice. If he just prayed first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, seventh day. I don't think he would have found himself here. Verse 10 says, it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of the offering, as soon as he had made an end of the offering, uh, the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. Uh, and Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. Hey, Samuel, uh, do you think he was uh, telling people to quick put out the fire and you know, hide that, hide that, put up a, put up a tent, don't, he's going to see it. Uh, Samuel confronted him. He knew. Uh, he knew. He probably smelled the burnt offering, don't you think? Uh, look at verse 11. Samuel said this. What does he say? It's a question. What hast thou done? What have you done? <laughs> think about uh, the Lord back in the garden, right? He, the Lord began to ask questions also, right? Not because he didn't know what happened, but to cause... Adam and Eve to appreciate, to consider, to appreciate that what they had done really was a heinous sin, uh, inexcusable. Samuel comes and says, what hast thou done? Uh, didn't I say? Didn't I say? What have you done? And Saul launches in with excuses. You know, he, he could have said, oh, you know, I knew this was wrong. It's wrong no matter what, and, you know, would you pray with me and help me to repent, confess this before the Lord? He just began to make excuses. Saul said, middle of verse 11, because I saw the people were scattered from me. You know what, Samuel, things were falling apart here. I had to do something. Um, my, my troops were deserting me, and I, I had to get this sacrifice performed so that those who remained would, would feel like we had God's blessing on us and, and we get busy defending ourselves here. I saw the people were scattered from me and, and thou camest not within the days appointed, you know, if he had waited five more minutes, and that the Philistines, the Philistines gathered themselves together at where? Michmash. Don't tell me it's not fun to say. That's why the Holy Spirit put it here four, three or four times. <laughs> That's probably not the reason. Therefore, said I, Therefore, said I, verse 12, the Philistines will come now down upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. And see the next thing he says. See the next thing he says. Samuel, you know, I had to force myself. I had to force myself, therefore, uh, and offer a burnt offering. Man, I knew it was wrong. Uh, I knew it was wrong, but I, I, I forced myself uh, to do this thing. Now, you know, maybe he did. Maybe that's true. Maybe he had to force himself. Maybe I'm being hard with my uh, tone of voice, and, and maybe that's not proper. Um, but, Marilyn, is sin always sin or not? If it, if it was sinful for this man to perform that sacrifice, it's sinful. It don't matter if the enemy's knocking at the back door and you feel like you need to do this to rally the troops and, and help them stay and feel like God's blessing is upon them and, and, and now you can get into battle. It don't matter. Sin is sin is sin. Uh, it's sin. Um, 
who who do they who do they make the sacrifice to? Who 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 did Saul make the sacrifice to? The Lord, uh, brother Ray Metric, couldn't <laughs> couldn't God protect and and give patience and and just kind of keep things together uh, for Saul? He just cry out to the Lord, Lord, you know I'm not the man to hold things together necessarily. I'm not, I'm not the man that could do that sacrifice. I'm not this, I'm not that. Uh, couldn't he have just cried out and said, God, help me to be patient. I don't know where Samuel is. God, get him here. You ever pray that? <laughs> Lord, I don't know where this person is, but just get them here because I need them here. Um, he could have done all of that. He could have done all of that. Uh, he says, I forced myself. I, I just had to do it. Uh, by the way, if he forced himself, that strongly implies that he, he plainly understood that this was wrong. Right? I forced myself to do it. That, that language strongly uh, suggests that, that he very clearly knew uh, that what he was doing was wrong. Well, Samuel responds, hey, you've, you've done this in disobedience to the Lord. Verse 13, Samuel said to Saul, thou hast done what? Foolishly. Brother Ramechik, sin is always foolish. It's always foolish to intentionally sin. Whether it's dishonesty, lying, uh, doing some, <laughs> you know what? If if God has told you that you're not to serve in this ministry and you do that, that's sin. <laughs> you know, you know, that's that's sin. Uh, by the way, if God's called you to serve in a certain area and you refuse to do that, that's also sin, right? Uh, we understand that. Samuel said to Saul, "Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee." Uh, for now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. He says, listen, you know that what you did is wrong, and I'm sorry, but now I need to tell you, there's going to be consequences. Uh, Samuel had just preached, right, in, in the last chapter. Remember, he, he, he went along and he preached, and he said, listen, you are, you're at a crossroads as a nation. You can, you can get right with God and be blessed by him, individually and nationally, or you can rebel against God and, and his word, uh, disobey him, and suffer consequences. Samuel just preached that in the last chapter. I'm not sure how long it was ago, but you know, it would have been in recent memory for Saul and, uh, and everyone else. And uh, So this idea that there will be consequence for sin should be uh, fresh in Saul's mind. And, and sure enough... Here it is at the end of verse 13. For, for now, would the, Lord, the Lord would have established your kingdom uh, upon Israel forever. You would have reigned for, for a long time. God would have been with you. Sure, it, you were only chosen by God and his permissive will, but, but he would have been with you and uh, worked through you. And uh, the implication here is that God's testing you to, to prove that you are worthy of that. Uh, first word of verse 14 is what? What's that for? But. Nuh-uh, that's not going to be the case, Saul. Now thy kingdom shall, what's the next word? Not continue. The Lord hath sought him, oh boy, who, a what? What has what God desired? A man after his own heart. <laughs> a man who desired the heart of God to, to know God and, and to obey him, uh, to put his whole heart into uh, being obedient uh, to God, 
Uh, not a man who would just be disobedient whenever the circumstances seem to possibly justify that uh, in, in a man's heart, uh, in a man's mind. Uh, the Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. The Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. By the way, God does have another man. <laughs> God will raise up another king. Uh, and that king is called a man after God's own heart. And that man's name is what? David, right? David, David comes as a direct, uh, a direct result uh, of Saul's sin, his, his disobedience. I know someone's saying, hey, I don't, I don't think it's that big of a deal. You know, looking at this, reading through this chapter, never really thought about it too much, never, don't see, you know, Saul's sin is that big of a deal. Um, we need to be very careful of that idea, allowing ourselves to think that sin is not a very big deal. Uh, what is his sin? He performed sacrifice that he should not have performed. Yeah, but it's sacrifice, worshiping God. Yeah, but God specifically said, you don't do that. He, he dis, plainly disobeyed God. By the way, did he plainly disobey any less plainly? Is his disobedience any less clear than the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. God said, don't do that. And they did that. And what happened? What happened as a result? The fall of man, a curse upon all creation, the situation that we're in today, right? God said, don't do that, and they did that. Does sin have consequences? Probably didn't seem like a big thing to them, except God said, don't do that. God said, Saul, you know, God had made it clear who was allowed to perform sacrifices, and Saul knew that he was not to do that. And so there'll be, there'll be consequences for his sin. Don't allow yourself to think that, you know, some little sin is not a big deal. Sin is a big deal. Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, had to go to the cross, shed his blood for sin. He's God the Son. He's God the Son. Uh, Saul's reign would not be um, what it would have been had he passed this test and proven himself obedient. There's consequences uh, for sin. See verse 15, Saul rose and get him up from Gilgal unto Gebeah of Benjamin, and Saul numbered the people that were present with him, about 600 men. Uh, the vast majority of his troops had, had run off. Uh, Saul and Jonathan now join Samuel and those that are at Gebeah. Verse 16, Saul and Jonathan, his son, and the people that were present with them abode in Gebeah of Benjamin. Uh, meanwhile, the Philistines are encamped where? Verse, second part of verse 16? Michmash. Michmash. Uh, having seen uh, the Israeli force, uh, the forces of God's people falling apart, declining, being broken up, the, the Philistines are emboldened and they send out, verse 18, the Bible calls them spoilers. Uh, raiders, plunderers, seems like they go out in the countryside. They're probably tasked to gather up uh, food and supplies wherever they can from the countryside for uh, the big army at Michmash. The spoilers, verse 17, came out of the camp of the Philistines in three countries. One turned unto the way that leadeth to uh, Ophrah, that's be to the north, uh, under the land of Shual, Verse 18, another company turned uh, the way to Beth Horon, this would be to the south or southwest. Another company turned to the way of the border that looketh to the valley of Zeboim, this would be to the east toward the wilderness. And then there's this little parenthesis here about the blacksmiths. Interesting, verse 19, 20, 21. 
Bible says now there was, there was no smith. Doesn't mean like John Smith, right? Blacksmith. There was no blacksmith found throughout all the land of Israel. Um, the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make them what? Swords or spears. They said, you know, if we allow blacksmiths uh, throughout this land that we're trying to retain control over, they'll eventually make weapons. They'll make swords and spears and they'll come after us. They'll, they'll try to liberate themselves from us. So they, they made a rule and evidently they enforced it. There'll be no blacksmiths. Well, how did they, what did they do when they needed some blacksmith work done? Well, verse 20 gives the answer. All the Israelites went down to the Philistines, the Philistines, to sharpen every man his share and his kultur and his axe and his mattock. Um, and that's what they did. <laughs> they, the Philistines made them go to their blacksmith, and I'm sure they paid for it. And uh, this was a strategic move on the part of the Philistines. They didn't allow weapons, or not many weapons, they didn't even allow the, the means of production of weapons, and that put the people at uh, great disadvantage, at least practically. By the way, that would also cause the people to become more reliant on who? God, right? You say, why would God allow that? <laughs> why would God allow uh, the Philistines take away the means of produ producing weapons? Well, I think we understand, we all understand there's a great tendency to rely upon military might of a nation. We have a militarily strong nation still today, and I praise God for that, but sometimes there's a temptation to rely more upon our military might than upon a mighty God. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to always rely and depend upon you. Uh, I think God probably allowed this for that reason. That this, this would encourage the people to be more reliant and dependent upon God because they were at this disadvantage, great disadvantage. Uh, when it came time to battle, the Bible says only Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear. And that's, that's the reason. Verse 22, so it came to pass the day of battle, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan, but... Uh, the only ones with Saul and with Jonathan, his son, was there found, a sword or a spear. Verse 23, and the garrison of the Philistines went out to the passage of where? Michmash. This this be a um, strategically important place uh, for that army to come and, and kind of rest and, and camp um, for now, <laughs> for, for now. Uh, this is a very dire situation. Uh, Israel didn't have much in the way of weapons. Uh, a lot of their army is kind of disbanded and, and run off, and there's a large enemy that is now strategically positioned to uh, put down any, any sort of insurrection that they, they perceive. This is a pretty dire situation. Um, in the next chapter, we'll see, uh, we'll see Jonathan's victory. <laughs> uh, praise God for that. Jonathan will have a victory. Uh, in chapter 14, and that's a good thing, but uh, this, this sets the stage here um, for God to reveal himself in that victory, but also shows the uh, kind of chinks, Marilyn, in Saul's spiritual armor. He had some, some real flaws in his character, which are really spiritual problems. He, uh, he was not looking to the Lord the way, and he's just giving God credit for that last military victory. Uh, but now he's, he's taken everything upon himself and defending that choice because he feels like he didn't have a choice. Um, let me stop with a question. 
do we always have a choice about whether to sin or to obey? Don't, do we always have a choice? We always have a choice. Is it ever okay? Is there ever going to be a situation where you can say, God, you know, I, did, I didn't have a choice. I, I just had to do that sinful thing because I just didn't have a choice. Um, I think there might be some conversations like that at the judgment seat of Christ, uh, if we dare have that conversation, <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, Lord, help us to get a hold of the idea that even a situation as dire as this one, was not an excuse to disobey you. Never is there an excuse. Lord, you, we can always come to you and pray for whatever is needed and trust you for what is truly needed. Uh, Father, help us please to get all of this idea. Let me pray, please. Father, thank you tonight for uh, this passage. It is, it is 